All right, Trustee Fox, we're ready when you are. Okay, um, on the meeting of the Finance Committee of the Board of Trustees to order, uh, can we have a roll call, please, Madam? Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. <laughs> Trustee Blagazio. Here. Trustee Sign. Here. Trustee Splendoria. Here. We do have a quorum, thank you. Okay, uh, we're going to go on to, and I understand we have no public comment. Correct. correct. So we're going to go on to item A, approval of the minutes of the May 3rd, 2023 Finance Committee meeting. Do we have any uh, any discussion or recommendations for revisions? I have one, Madam Clerk, uh, on page seven, uh, the sixth line with respect to the foundation, instead of saying, I uh, should say foundation is not foundation as. Oh, thank you. Okay, and that should, uh, the sixth line of the motions under action should also be corrected the same way. Will do, okay. thank you. Uh, hearing no further uh, recommendations for uh, corrections, can we please have a motion to approve the minutes? I'll move. <clears throat> Second. Okay. Uh, Esteem moved in Obogasi and seconded. Right. Uh, Trustee Esteem. Yes. Trustee Fox. Yes. Trustee Abogacion. Yes. Trustee Sign. Yes. Trustee Splendorio. Yes. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, next item on the agenda is an information item on the uh, article that was distributed about hundreds of thousands of people nationally having lost Medicaid coverage since pandemic protections expired. Um, this was really more for information than discussion. Uh, uh, the only question I have for uh, the AHS community is, uh, are we seeing any anything like that happening in our community yet? I, I saw a reference somewhere to it starting July 1, but is, you know of anything happening right now? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I can't say definitively that it's not, but I, I have not seen any evidence of that. Okay. Uh, but we expect it probably will happen, I guess. Oh, it is. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Any other comments or questions about the article? All right. We'll move on. Uh, item B2 is the Chief Financial Officer's report on April financial results. All right. I'm trying to get logged in here. My apologies. So this is the April um, financial report. Starting with volumes, um, 
April was not a good service mix month. Um, yes, our patient days were up 12.8%, uh, which is actually higher than our year-to-date at 10.8%. Um, but our discharges were 4.4 below, and our length of stay rose to 6.4. Um, that's where we are year-to-date, but it's um, um, higher than budget and higher than where we were last year. So we, you know, continue to struggle with um, throughput. And then on top of that, in the month of April, our case mix index, our CMI, was below budget by 0.053. It was at 1.487. That is below budget, below our trend, and below last year. So normally when your CMI goes down, you would expect fewer patient days, but that is not what occurred. We also um, saw our trauma cases drop 2.8%, still ahead for the year. Uh, our surgeries were off 6.2%, whereas we're actually still ahead on a year-to-date basis. So those really hurt our mix, and that obviously hurts our net revenue. Um, we did have a couple bright spots. Our ED visits were up 1.4%. <coughs> Deliveries were up um, by 8 or 7.4%. Um, moving on to skilled nursing, um, here we're seeing a huge increase in discharges. So the throughput is improving. You know, we've been struggling with COVID and all the restrictions, but things are, are, um, are starting to move. Uh, and if you add the paid bed days that we had um, in-house, our average daily census would have been above budget. So great news on the skilled nursing front. On the clinic side of things, we also had high volumes in the month of April. We had uh, more providers uh, working. Um, so we beat budget by 19.4%. We're actually below budget year to date. So this was this month was a big help on picking up our visits to budget. So moving on to the length of stay slides. So I put these in here uh, just because they, they reflect the, the days above the acuity models where our patients stayed. So in the month of April, we had 2,311 days beyond the regulatory models that people stayed. And we generally do not get paid for those days. Um, for John George, um, they went up to 528 this month. Last month was, I think, one of their lowest number of days. Moving on to the financial statements, our uh, net income was a loss of just about 800,000 compared to a budget of 4.5. So we missed budget by 5.3 million. And that actually um, put us behind year to date. So we've been talking about how we think we'll be able to achieve budget by the end of the year. Um, it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be tight, <laughs> um, but we're close. Um, this month uh, did definitely um, hurt us. On an EBITDA perspective, we are um, we are at a negative 640, which is 5.1 below budget. And for the year, we're pretty dang close. We're off by 700,000. Question on that, Kim. What is it that, what is the adjustment, adjustment to EBITDA on the actual side, year to date, that's put us so far ahead of budget? So with the uh, new GASB pronouncement on leases, well, that's it. 
Yeah, we, we now need to um, show our lease expense or rent expense as amortization. And so that it, it used to be a lease expense. So now it's, it's, um, okay. it is um, actually uh, pretty, well, it's not really the right word. It's going to make us change the way we look at our financials because we've always interpreted EBITDA, earnings before interest, depreciation, and amortization as our cash flow, and we can no longer do that. So starting um, next year, our plan is to end with cash flow. And the reason why we do that, just as a reminder for everybody, is that we live on the line of credit. So our cash flow either increases if it's negative, our, our line of credit and our NMB, or decreases it. So, so we're basically taking that cash flow and putting it on our line of credit. And that's why it would be reflected that way. So that, that is actually a, a cash expense. Lease yes, exactly. Yes, the amortization is lease expense. So I'm still reflecting that we're going to make budget. We've got uh, two more months. Uh, and here's the uh, revenue slide. Our gross patient, patient charges are 7.6% above budget, and that's pretty consistent with where we've been all year. Our um, Net collection is at 18.4%, which is below our trend, and that's because of the service mix issue this month. Um, but we are still above budget both for the month and year to date. Um, we did receive uh, money from the county um, for John George, which helped us this month. And we did see a slight uptick in our commercial pyramid, so that's kind of offsetting that service mix. The next slide here is other government, and uh, Measure A has just been a great source of funds this year. Um, many of you may remember last year we thought we'd be going into maybe a recession and people wouldn't be buying things. Um, however, that has not been the case. Uh, we held our budget based on last year's run rate, and we have surpassed it so far this year by $21.8 million. So, that has been just a, a, a great help to us this fiscal year. In addition to that, on the supplemental funds, we had a hit of 1.7. Um, that's being driven by our FY16 skilled nursing um, recruitment. That was for 2.9, offset by FY or calendar year 21 EPP, which was received for 1.1 million. And just to note, you can see we're way over budget year to, on the year-to-date by 32.4. That is due to mostly by QIP, which was 24.9 million. And you'll have to, you know, everybody needs to remember that with QIP, um, the state allowed us to um, eliminate the threshold in the formula, so we received our entire entire portion of QIP without earning it. So that we in our budget we had we assumed based on our current um, achievement of goals. So that's why the miss on that. So here's the uh, expenses. Um, this is uh, tells us the overall there in the bottom. We are over 13.7 or 14.1% for the month and 122.7 and 12.6 for the year. And the story is the same. I've been, you know, the same thing every month. The, those extra patient days and longer length of stay cost more money. We have heads and beds and we need to take care of those patients. 
Um, there are a couple anomalies this month I'll uh, call out on physician contract services. We're over so much in the current month compared to year to date, uh, driven by a orthopedic locum cost of 0.7 that um, just came through and was paid in this month, but it's from previous months. Also down in general and administrative, we received the beta insurance dividend of 0.8, and so that's driving the favorable variance there. Uh, lots of words on the slide. I don't know that I need to go through them all since it's pretty much the same story. Okay. Uh, labor costs, again, same story. Uh, lots of words on this slide, but uh, just to remind everybody, we've made a lot of rate changes to our own staff that were not in the budget. It happened between January and uh, actually all through uh, last calendar year. And those were required, you know, to keep, to reduce the amount of turnover and to make equity adjustments as we recruited from the outside. So um, those were not picked up in the budget. We also had additional pay for extra shifts due to COVID, which was not in the budget. We thought that would be over. And we had some um, retention uh, bonuses and settlements. So we, we did definitely miss uh, our own internal staff rates. But where the big mix, miss is, is registry. We thought that with uh, COVID subsiding, that the rates would come down. We wouldn't need all of the registry because we would hire our own and that has not occurred. We were over 5.5 million for the month and 59.0, actually 60 million for the year. So that's the big driver on the labor costs. I put the uh, benefits on the next slide just because there wasn't room. Um, and the benefits are mostly timing differences. Um, with the retirement, we are funding more in the ACERA plan than we had budgeted. Um, going back to employee benefits, the self-funded health plan is really the, the, the driver for us. Uh, during COVID, it's, it was as if none of our employees went and sought care. And then once you know the pandemic was pretty much behind us, everybody went and got caught up in all of their healthcare services and we didn't. Um, budget for that kind of an influx. So this is the physicians. Um, uh, I just included it in here just to show uh, where the variances are because you really have to look at the contracted and the employed to get any really real understanding of what's happening with our physician costs. And you can see that the Costs in total are up for anesthesia, and we are trying to grow our, our surgery cases and also the hospitalists, which, of course, with all those extra patient days, we need to have those folks. And the other one was psychiatry, which needed to have an adjustment last month. So those are the big key drivers there. This is the slide I put in on the monthly just to show you. Um, that our FTE were above budget by 164 at 4828 <coughs> compared to a budget of 4664. Um, but you can see that our volumes, the red dot, are way below where they actually were. Well, we needed to pull in staff to take care of those patients. So it's just a graphic of, of what's happening. Uh, you can also see from the colors that our productive time was up. So we had um, more of our own staff working, 
non-productive was down, so people weren't taking time off, registry was up, overtime was up, and as you know, the red line, the adjusted patient days are also up. So everything is as you would expect. Okay. Try to get rid of this thing here. Okay. So then I move on to the balance sheet. <coughs> Our, I'll just make a few comments here. Days and AR up. It's the next slide. Um, the due from third parties, that's our supplementals. Uh, you can see a huge change from last month to April. Well, we got a whole lot of supplemental payments. We expected those. Those were in our, um, in our NNB projection. Uh, but QIP, rate range, GPP, and EPP all came in. And that is why you're seeing a big drop from a receivable of 222 down to a payable of 18 or 19 million. The due from county also changed significantly, and that's because we needed to pay back the county for the IGTs that they gave us so that we could pull down um, the federal share on those supplementals. Down at the bottom there, the net negative balance, um, our net position is uh, pretty consistent with previous month and improved from last year. That's our net revenue. And the net negative balance receivable um, payable is at a receivable at 86.9. It was a payable last month, but because we received all that cash, we were able to put it on our line of credit. So that's why we're in a receivable position with the county. Here is the AR slide. Just a couple comments here. As I told you, they went up, not the direction that we want. The biggest driver is um, the state has put a hold on our Medi-Cal inpatient fee-for-service claims. And the reason why they did that is they did an upgrade from their IBM system. And because of our NPIs, we are being rejected. So um, this is kind of a historical problem that we need to fix. For whatever reason, the powers that be at the time created NPIs for many, many things besides a separate location or a doctor. And so we have way too many of them. And we're going to fix this. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's going to take us some time to get it done. Um, but as a result of this, we're, we're getting caught in this upgrade with the state. So what we're doing is we're manually submitting the claims on paper. It's very labor intensive. But we want to do that so that we can get some payments. But that's the key driver on why our days are up. Uh, also, um, if, you know, in the interest of full transparency, our cash collections were below trend for both PV and H. Quick question. So, question, I just said, don't worry, it will be fixed. How long would it take to fix? They're saying about four months, potentially. <coughs> so we would have to you know, submit paper claims. And in June, the state notoriously stops paying in the last several weeks um, to balance their cash budget. <laughs> and then they generally will, you know, catch up in July. So I expect that um, our days in AR are not going to be good for the next couple of months. Overall, I mean, this is real money. How is this going to affect the fiscal year ending? Is it like we fix it on an audit and everything gets back? adjusted or is it actually going to look like revenues in fiscal year 23-24 like we accrue the revenue anyway 
but where it hits us is on our net negative balance and our cash flow. So it means we'll have to draw more on the NNB because we won't have that cash in house in the treasury. So we're not going to have that 86,000, 86 million positive very long. Well, I'll give you my projection here in just a minute. And here's the patient collections, and we're still running ahead of last year, so good news there. And uh, here's the NNB. Um, so this improved uh, from last month. So last month, you might recall, I was telling you that we're getting really close in January of 24, and we've taken... Um, taking this line down a bit for two reasons. Um, the first one is we received an additional 5.7 for calendar year 21 rate range. Um, and we're going to recognize that next month. So basically, this is going to wipe out our loss this year, but it still means we're going to need to um, hit our budget for two to, 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 uh, to make sure we achieve budget this month. So some good news there. We got some more money coming in and it did does positively impact this. And then we also know that for next year, we're gonna have a 9 million improvement in rate range. And so the combination of those two things really helped us in January to bring down that line. And as you all know, once you approve the budget, then I will update the cash flow with the budget. Right now, we just put placeholders in here. And here's the table. And there really is no change in this except for the timing of the, uh, was it, it's basically the Blue Cross um, rate range payment for calendar year 21. We didn't get it like we thought in April, but we planned to get it in May. I didn't ask if we got it yet, but that's, that is my report. Okay. Any questions or comments uh, on the financial report for April? Okay, hearing registry. none. Just the, oh. the registry. I'm, okay. I might sound like a broken record about it other night. Uh, that's a lot. <coughs> and the fact that it kind of blew our expectations. Yeah, um, we were, I think, I'm going to say pretty aggressive uh, when we did our budget. We, you know, we, we want our own staff. I mean, that's, that's what we want. And we thought, you know, with all of the the resources that we're trying to deploy um, within our organization, not only for recruiting, but trying to just improve the, the staff experience and our culture. We thought that we would be able to really knock that registry down. But I think the reality is the pandemic wasn't over, right? And so, you know, there was a staffing crisis across the country. And I, I don't think any of us could have predicted that. I mean, we didn't predict it. Um, so we didn't see the reductions that you know, we thought we would have. It was you know, one of those best initiatives, performance improvement. Um, Mark, you want to comment? I, I just wanted to comment on registry. Um, we're on pace this year between non-physician and physician registry and contract. We're on pace at about 97 million. We've got over budget. 97 in total, which is 13% of our full um, expense revenue, so, so yeah. our full labor expense. So the bridge plan has us at a $1.7 million reduction, which is about almost 2%, but we think we can do better. So to that end, 
we're going to be meeting in the next week or two as a, as a leadership team in all the areas that have contract to develop plans on how we can reduce. Um, we want to get a 5% reduction, which would probably be around $5 million in, in registries. So, you know, it's, it's a tough task because we've got to be bringing people in the door to replace the registry, but um, we, we're going to, we're going to go for it. I mean, I love the, the aggressive predictions, but our registry usage, I mean, we can, there's a bar that I think I was looking at last night. It's, it's an amazing average. It is very stable, but we continue to have projections in our budget that are way lower than what we're actually utilizing. And I don't know why we don't just like call it for what it is. I mean, that's my question. Why not just question. like keep following up on that? We'll we talk about the budget. I would like you folks to comment on where you think we'll be in the first quarter of the new fiscal year on registry and length of stay and FTE savings. Because I think if, we, if we're not confident that we're gonna make improvements starting right off the bat in the first quarter, thinking that we're gonna make big improvement that we have budgeted for the whole year, I, I think is gonna be a real push very hard to achieve. And I think what happened this year is we, we got a late start um, and, and we just were not able to do it. And I know it's partly because the pandemic didn't ease up, but now it has. So hopefully, you know, we're gonna start, we're not gonna, this isn't gonna wait until the second half of the fiscal year. Thank you, Chair Watson. <laughs> you know, I, at the risk of sounding Pollyanna because you're right, it has been fairly consistent, but certainly since this administrative team has been here, we've been in pandemic. And so we did not have an end to the disaster, which we now do. And so I think our projections for the decreases, along with the work that Mark just articulated, I have confidence in it because we are coming out of, we're moving to an endemic state. We are seeing that um, registry numbers, the costs are starting to go down because there's not that same high demand that we were seeing before during the crisis. And so um, we're seeing some softening in that marketplace. And so that's why I believe that we have a realistic chance of doing what we said. But I think that uh, Chair Fox's point is well taken. If we don't see the kind of turn that we're projecting early on, we're going to have to you know, revisit because we've got to be aggressive. We can't let this thing um, continue to you know, stay high when we're projecting it's going to go down. Yeah, and, and we we were 30 million higher than where we were last year in 22. And I know that was a big increase from the year before. So I, I mean, and I know all the, that the rates are a big part of it, but some of that too. So it hasn't like just been totally. So, so um, and I gather we're still going after a scarce resource healthcare professionals. What is our sort of posture in the community compared to our competitors in terms of competing to get people who want to come work here? Happy to. Um, and obviously, please feel free to, to chime in. But I think that what we're seeing is that um, you've seen our culture safety scores. They're going up. Um, we are being more aggressive in the marketplace in terms of going out and seeking um, you know, to get people to come and choose AHS. Um, we're having more success in making this a desirable, desirable place to work so that we can have the folks who are invested in this place as opposed to, you know, the itinerant kind of traveling folks. Right. And so 
I think the work that we've been doing to make this a more desirable place to work, paying a, a fair wage, which you know our labor contracts are um, predicated on making sure that we are comping people with an equitable, livable wage. So that makes me confident that we will continue the trend of being able to fill positions in a way that we couldn't previously. But, no, I agree. Um, and Alan, you know, hitting the ground running just this past, within the past 30 days, we were able to drop our med surge registry nurse rate from 132 to $92 an hour. So, I mean, I, I think the bridge plan and Kim articulated this a month ago, 1.7 million is a fairly conservative number for us. One could argue that if we keep everything the same, just by way of that drop, we can hit the 1.7 million, but that's not good enough. Okay, I think we've kind of edged our yes. way into discussing the budget. We just can't wait to get there. <laughs> if I may, though, was, uh, you know, I just I wanted to acknowledge that um, Lorna Jones is on the call. And Lorna, I didn't know HR, that's that's your bailiwick. Is there anything you'd add to the comments that Mark and I had around our ability to fill positions? Um, no, no, I mean, the only thing I would add is, is that this is a national problem, as you all know, that people are exiting healthcare. And so our um, some of the issues that we're experiencing are not unique to AHS. And so we, you know, we've done tons of work around increasing our benefits. We've increased our workforce development opportunities. We have, you know, um, individual contributor leadership academy. We've increased tuition reimbursement. We have um, an, an executive coaching platform. We've done a ton of things to um, not only retain staff, but also um, to recruit staff, but it's a national problem. That's the only thing I'd add. Okay, thank you. All right. You have the floor. Share my screen. All right, so. Before I uh, start, I just want to make a couple of comments. I, I, I want to thank, you know, my FP&A staff. Um, um, you know, during the budget process, not only was I out, but so was the director, um, Grace Messina. And uh, so this, on top of that, this was a really challenging year. We really struggled to, to close our financial gap. Um, it, it, I mean, it took it took a lot, it took a lot from a lot of people to do it. But I just wanted to take a minute and thank my staff because um, uh, we posted a presentation last month, or last week, I'm sorry, last Friday, and we've had to make some changes to it, not to the numbers, but to some of the words and some of the backup, just because you know we had to, to basically spread out the work between the entire staff who've never done some of this before. And they all stepped up. They were just incredible. And I feel pretty good about this presentation today. Um, I am want to hear feedback from you because we're going to post for the board. My understanding is we're going to present to the board next week. So Friday, we will be able to make any changes to this that you guys want to see. And as we go through it, I'll make comments about what the, some of the things that we changed in this. There, it's mostly wording and it's not the actual budget numbers. So I wanted just to say that, thank you for listening. <laughs> it is a rough, it was a, it's been a rough year. Okay, so um, we've tried to give you some categories here. Um, 
the waterfall is just to kind of give you the big picture, how it relates to our mission. We give you the financials, the cash flow. This year, we actually included projected financials, which we've never done before. So that was an ad. Uh, and then we've got the capital budget that we're asking for recommended approval, talking about some risk. And of course, the bridge plans are part of the risk. So this is the um, financial statement. And we've been able to come up with an EBITDA of 32.3 million. Um, and the cash flow will be a little bit different, and I'll share that later. So we haven't changed the format on these slides yet to get to cash flow. The other comment I need to make about this is the actuals from 19 to 22 are what we presented last year. What we did not do is update these for the GASB pronouncement for leases. Okay, in the financial statements we did. So that's why there's a difference. I'm just fully disclosing that here. Um, they would be more comparable if we did make the changes here. We just, we just couldn't get to it. Okay, so what you're seeing is that our uh, variance to budget, if you look at these numbers here, we are about 1.9% or 31.5 million better in revenue, and our expenses are outpacing that by 50.5 million, and our net income is a reduction of 49.8 million, and remember, FY22 and 23 are anomaly years. We still had a lot of COVID um, funding, um, especially in terms of the QIP threshold, right, and GPP. So um, those are going away. So we now have to figure out how to do with less, right? So here's the waterfall, which is uh, to try to tell our story. There we're starting with EBITDA, so we can, we've left our format from previous years at 49.4. There's that big reduction in supplemental revenues, um, 28.5 million, and the majority of that is QIP at 17.7 of the 28. Um, the FMAP um, is another 9.6, so the FMAP is going to ratchet down each quarter until December. So we'll only get two quarters of it at a lower rate in this next fiscal year. The volume here is pretty much all San Leandro third floor uh, medical surge unit. One of the things in this slide that's a little bit uh, cumbersome is we didn't necessarily get all the volume into the volume um, column. So that's something we'll probably try to fix before Friday, it's not huge, but it would be a little more green. On the provider side, um, that's 11.1 million. Um, that is basically the AHMG increase at 11.8 million and some other contract renewals uh, offset by, we did have revenue in there for bringing the new providers at AHMG up to the 40th percentile. So again, that probably should have been involved. And the rev cycle improvements, um, we just finished negotiating with the county. Um, they've agreed to a retro increase of 10.9 million. Um, that is based on our costs this last year. We are always in arrears on this because we have to settle the cost to determine how much uh, they can pay us because they only transfer to us what they get paid. So uh, 
we've included that in this presentation for next year. We also have commercial contract increases of 2.7 million. And we've got a host of other things that you'll see in the bridge plan for 10.7. Some of the big ones are some settlements with our third party payers and some and billing for implants. That's something we didn't set up in Epic and we need to get that set up and start billing and getting reimbursed for implants. The next area is uh, patient and staff experience. Um, so we've done a lot of work with parking. I know you've heard about that, so I won't, I won't belabor that point. We're doing some IT refresh. Uh, so there's some telephone and cell phone costs, um, and there's some repairs and maintenance in there. And then uh, the next item is quality. We've put the reductions in length of stay as a quality item. We've done that because you know patients um, really should only be in the hospital when they need to be in the hospital. Um, we've got the physicians working at the 40th percentile, which again, probably should be in volume. We've got billing for observation, which again, we feel is the right level of care, a quality issue. We've got the stroke certification in there. And um, we've got some um, surgery, uh, improving our utilization of the block time. Again, that probably should be in volume. And that's it for quality and then for our cpi most of that is labor at 20 million and 10.8 for benefits and sustainability is uh, 19.5 we've got the registry savings uh, mark was talking about 1.7 we've got ot savings at a million and uh, we've got the registry concert conversion to staff at um, just about 9 million and we've got some economies of scale in here. Uh, we'll talk about that more. Uh, we've talked about it at this meeting uh, in the fact that our FTEs are going up and our uh, volumes um, have not gone up at the same pace. So we've built some economies of scale at 4.7. And that, you add that across, that gets us to our 32.3 million. So that's the high level, what's in the budget. We'll turn it over to you to Excellent. talk about, okay. It's turned over to me. Yes, um, <laughs> yes. So um, last month, when I was doing my one-to-one -one with um, the chair of the finance committee, Trustee Fox, he asked me a series of excellent questions. He wanted to know, and I'm, I'm reading from my notes, what was the, um, from an equity perspective, um, what was the impact on the, our budget um, and on our strategic plan? So the budget that we're building, what was the impact on our strategic plan the impact on our patients, and then he asked, how will we make services, how will our budget make services more accessible with more equity? So um, I felt like those were really important questions, so I'm grateful for the opportunity. And so what we've done was it was in your agenda as a separate item, but we've woven it into the presentation. And so we have this slide here where um, I asked the executive team to help me come up with the various ways that we have taken our strategic plan, the elements of our strategic plan, looked through an equity lens about how we were gonna build a budget that addressed the questions that were put forward by um, Trustee Fox. And so I, I certainly won't read the bullets to you, you have them here, but I just wanted to highlight a few of them. And certainly um, at the very top, um, community health workers. We believe that community health workers are, are key to our ability to outreach to those that we serve who are not conversant, they're not fluent in the healthcare system. And so by investing in community healthcare workers in the way that we have in this budget, 
we really think that's going to improve the quality of care, the quality of life for those that we serve. So very excited about that. And we and there are a couple of specific areas, the substance use disorders clinic and um, specialty care clinics are called out. Um, you're all very familiar with the beloved Black Birthing Center. In this budget, we've made additional investments into our beloved program. And so, you know, just really excited about the changes that we're seeing in birthing parent uh, mortality and morbidity as well as infant mortality and morbidity. So the data is confirming that the beloved program is working and we're making significant investments um, above what we've already done in the beloved program. Again, um, with an eye towards equity and making sure that we are investing in the right way to support the communities that we serve. Um, wayfinding and signage, I'll skip to that one. That's something that we hear often, that people who come here struggle because often English is not their first language and this place is, it's a labyrinth at best. And so Mark Fratsky and James Helena are leading an effort to improve our wayfinding and make sure that it's in accessible languages for those that we serve. And so again, making a financial investment in our physical plant to make sure that we are as accessible and equitable to those that we serve. Um, our affinity groups, terribly proud of that. And I think kudos, I know she'll say it was other people, but I have to call out Lorna Jones, our Chief Human Resources Officer for leading the work around our affinity groups. Um, I think you all saw my note that went out yesterday regarding Pride Month and what AHS is doing to make sure that we are good allies and that we're supporting all of the communities, including those in the LGBTQIA plus community. And um, I mentioned that now because we went to our, um, the LGBTQ um, plus, IA plus group and told them, you know, we were looking to put this memo out and they actually gave us some really important feedback and helped us craft that message. And so I'm, I'm very proud of the message received, have received a lot of anecdotal feedback on it. And um, I think it's a, a much better message by virtue of having that group give us proactive um, feedback into how do we, you know, communicate this message in a way that really resonates with those that we serve. So I was really proud about that. Um, just moving down the list, um, honorariums for equity speakers for AHSY <laughs> presentations. I mean, that's just you know, it's a small thing, but it's a big thing, making sure that those who we need to be hearing from, they have a forum here at AHS. And so making sure that our budget allows space to bring in those speakers that we might not otherwise, voices that we might not hear. Um, addressing social determinants of health, um, recipe for health, partnering with Alameda County on the food as medicine program to reduce chronic disease, nutrition insecurity. Um, you're gonna be hearing a lot more about our farmer's market. Thank you, Jeanette Dong and um, Mario Harding and others um, who have really brought that to um, fruition. And our first one is going to be um, next week. And I believe that Dr. Stephen Chin is going to hopefully join us and be present for the kickoff of the farmer's market. So very excited about that. And then finally, um, the new services programs that are EPMO and the analytical processes, um, including the use of this aggregated data, patient voice, and the equity tool. So again, making the equity tool a part of all of the work that we're doing. And so this isn't optional, making sure that things are moving through that tool so that we know that the equity issues are being considered proactively as we're making decisions about how we move as an organization. So I ran through the slide relatively quickly, but I wanted to stop and just see if there were any questions um, or comments from the trustees about how we are answering the questions that Trustee Fox put to me. Um, so, um 
the uh, investment to increase community health workers, I mean, so what's the number of workers that were increasing in terms of the community health workers? And then um, the other question I have on this health equity, do, are we partnering with um, Oakland Unified School District <coughs> in terms of um, reaching out to um, students and, and providing more, you know, so to your first question, I don't know that number offhand, but we can certainly get that. So I apologize that I can't answer with the specific number around the community health workers, but that's not a hard thing. Unless Kim, if you have that at the ready, but we can get back to you with that. Perhaps next week during my CEO report, I can follow up on that. Is that okay? Yes, because it's not like we hired them on the beginning of this budget. They've been we've been doing it over a period of time. So, yeah. so we'll get back with the specifics. In regards to the Oakland Public Schools, I love that question. I actually, on Friday night, I was at Scott Coffin's retirement and I met the superintendent of schools. And so she and I exchanged information. And so we were talking about this work that we're doing around equity and how do we, I told her about our health path program and the way that we're engaging students early on and getting them to be familiar with opportunities in healthcare that they might otherwise not know about. And so, you know, that's not a concrete thing. It's just to, to say, had that conversation with the superintendent of schools and I'm very excited about the prospect of working with her to integrate the schools um, into this work that we're doing. I appreciate this slide a great deal. I think it helps to highlight a lot of the programming and a lot of the equity initiatives that are underway and that are coming. And I, I agree with, uh, with my fellow trustee about seeing the numbers, because I think as we think about equity, one of the things is erasing disparities. And I think that also includes, you know, what is the investment? Yes. If we're you know, XYZ amount of spending in over 150 years with no eye for equity, what does that look like? When we're paying speakers, honorariums, are we paying them something that's akin to a living wage? Are we paying them something that's akin to what speakers who do TED Talks, you know, they're unaware of whatever. You know, yeah. all of these things, that's just one example. But I'm very curious about that because this feels like a, a great ground floor. Um, and I would love to see a demonstration of how the equity tool is applied during one of our board meetings so that sure. we can get a kind of a, a firsthand view of, you know the questions that are asked yeah. how things are considered so that yeah. the implementation because it you know the equity tool i think can be strong yes well that's it can it's, be strong it's a wonderful point and we can certainly show you how our operationalized so beyond the words this is how it's actually because we have a an algorithm where we talk about you know how things move through the decision process and where the equity tool is and so i think we can bring back some examples of exactly how it's being applied in those settings well, so show us the algorithm Sure, we, we can bring that algorithm back as well. The other thing I would mention is that you talk about a living wage around the honorariums and you know we can certainly go deeper on that. I will tell you that for the um, recipe for health, one of the key elements of that is that um, we know that the farmers in this area often are not being paid in a living wage, an equitable wage. And so how do you encourage people to keep doing that work when they are not being paid a, a wage that allows them to sustain themselves and their families? And so that's one of the things that I am really proud about in regards to this farmer's market work, not only are we giving the BIPOC farmers this opportunity, um, we are making sure that they're being, being paid a, an equitable wage. And the other thing that Mark is working on is talking to Morrison's about how do we get them into our supply chain? 
so again, so that there is incentive for them to continue doing this important work of creating um, sustainable, fresh produce in this marketplace and being able to have it, you know, purchased by organizations like AHS. And so, you know, more to come on that, but those are the right questions. We can certainly get you the specifics on how that tool is being used, but I think we have some pretty good examples just right out of the box of what we're doing to make sure that we're investing in this community and to the, the BIPOC um, folks that we're trying to support. I agree. I think these are awesome examples. I think the Morrisons one, I know we've talked about it in the past, and sometimes the barriers to small businesses being able to get into the supply chain is that they can't keep up with the demand. But And then the conversation stops. And I think if we want to be a leader in equity in the community, then we can go a few steps further and say, well, what would it take for you to be able to keep up with the demand? Do you need five acres? Mm. Do you need, you know, infrastructure? Do you need help with XYZ financing and how AHS can be a partner in, you know, the greater reach? Because that's how we then transform. Fair enough. Thank you. All right. So the, the next section. Sorry. Sorry. If I could add interesting steam to your questions related to the equity tool. I just had two physicians. Um, I've had one physician and now an additional two fill out the equity tool. And if I can just add, it's the equity tool recommended to us all by Hetty to use, and we've incorporated it into a number of different processes here. And really what is um, uh, informative and amazing, it's the process, because we make assumptions about each other, about physicians think one way, this way, not that way. And often I found that the equity tool educates physicians as they go through the process. And you ask some specific questions and we've just gone through these meetings where we've talked about data, zip codes, um, cities. We've just aggregated the racial data. We're looking at male, female. We just have, and it's amazing how that information can be incorporated in the discussion around the equity tool. But people, all people don't think the same way. So it's interesting and of great value to have that frame of reference kind of uh, uh, advanced in this thought process. And that is the kind of like some of the first steps to change the culture of the organization and how we think. That's what I found from the limited use of the tools so far, but I've had physicians go out. If I may, um, and Lorna, you know, you could have shared this yourself, but Lorna's being nice. She's trying to make her CEO look good. So Lorna just sent me some information that um, to your question, Trustee Obogacion, um, we have currently eight programs with Oakland nonprofits and schools, and there are four to 500 Alameda youth that come through AHS every year. So I, I hope that's um, responsive to your, to your question. Yeah, thank you. And I really appreciate that you already began the <coughs> conversation with the superintendent. And I also want to recognize uh, Lorna here with my visit that there are things that you are partnering with um, Oakland School District in terms of um, the diversity and inclusion and some training programs and uh, workforce development because I feel like workforce development is, has to be the priority, right? Because we're going to see um, that in the next seven years, the recruitment and retention is going to be a problem, especially in the healthcare industry. And so, you know, we, um, I know Lorna, you're already proactive doing that because I hear from leaders when I did my my visit uh, there. So I just want to recognize and, and, and thank you, especially working in Oakland Unified because that is something that 
dear to my heart. I am a product product of Oakland Unified School District. So you guys are gonna always hear me about <laughs> Oakland Unified School District. So thank you. Okay, um, so I gave you kind of the big picture and now we were gonna talk about the pillars. So how this addresses, how the budget addresses the long range strategic plan. So the first uh, pillar is sustainability. And um, we've got uh, revenue cycle improvements there. We talked about the contract strategy, uh, getting an additional 2.7. We talked about the behavioral health contract with the county, the volume increases. So here they're all in one place. Um, so those are the key areas. Um, we've got a supply initiative. Um, we have reductions in overtime and then the transferring of 131 registry FTE to um, newly hired staff. Most of that's nursing and IT and we've got a, a graphic coming up on that. Uh, here's uh, the registry trend. Um, it shows that our registry rates are going up slightly, but our FTEs are going from 332 to 201. Um, on Friday, we're going to post an adjustment to the hours in 23. So what happened last year because of the late invoicing, uh, the situation we've talked about, I know many times. Um, so what happened in the audit is we uh, accrued into last year, meaning FY22 dollars, but not the actual FTE. So we're going to make an adjustment for that uh, in the Friday presentation. And here's another slide, and you can see how that the, how the graph goes way up. Those will get adjusted, so it won't be as big. It's still going to go up, but it won't be as um, as big of a, a decrease. So that kind of gives the trend. And what's important here is 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 our registry costs used to be below our employee costs, and now they have surpassed them. And, you know, I don't know that anybody could have predicted this. I mean, it was just it's the, the staffing crisis is is really something I've never seen in my lifetime. <laughs> um, so continuing on sustainability, we've got some infrastructure, uh, security software and licensing fees. Um, we've got, we're still rolling out the telesitters. Um, and then we've got the 49 FTEs based on getting some economies of scale. So if we could see this many patients three years ago, pre-COVID, can we do something close to that now? And so we were able to find 49 FTEs there, which really helped us to close the budget gap. And then we've also built in some workers' comp reduction because our workers' comp are really high this year. And we think that we can um, uh, make some improvements to reduce employee injuries. In regard to staff experience, we've built in wage adjustments, about 3.6% in total at about $20 million. We've also included employee recognitions for about $700,000. Um, we're providing coaching and other career growth opportunities at $800,000. I think um, uh, Lorna touched on many of those. And we've got a full year of additional recruiters to help us build our own staff. Uh, for position experience, um, we built in what the board approved for the um, negotiations with the SEIU. Uh, so that included $7 million to newly hired positions. It include, included a quality incentive bonus and adjustments to the position leadership compensation. 
And there's also contract position increases, uh, which were necessary just because of the timing of the agreements and what the market rates need to be. This is the graph of the Alameda Health Medical Group. Um, you know, it shows us from 2021 all the way through budget 24. You can see we've done a great job in recruiting. We're at 200.1 when we used to be at 154.8 back in 21. And you can also see that there's been steady increases in salaries. Um, this is employed and contracted. Um, we do not have worked hours on contracting. We're trying to get it, but we don't have a way to do it now. So I can't do an overall, but I can at least show you in terms of graphs, the blue being the contract, uh, the oak care was the darker blue and the light blue is employed. And so you can see our employed have grown with the, with the inclusion of oak care and our blue has not really changed, but we have a lot more um, costs in our employed positions. And this just gives you detail of it for your viewing pleasure. Uh, and then under physician access, I, I wanted to point out what this means. That's, you know, 38.5 more doctors from the original PSA. And you can see, you know, how that has increased our access. And certainly with all the additional patient days, you know, in the busy ER, you know, we really needed, uh, needed these physicians. Uh, we got a new specialty there, plastic surgery, which is uh, great to be able to provide internally and not send folks out. We still have some work to do. We need to make sure that we have our specialties appropriately staffed for the volumes and call expectations. And we always need to be sure that we are compliant with fair market value. Under the community pillar, um, we're investing back in the foundation infrastructure. The board approved the foundation's budget, which um, shows that they're covering all of their expenses. We've got um, Community Connect. It's not a lot of dollars, but it's this idea that we will connect with our medical record to a lot of the other local entities. Um, we've also got the agreement with Cardia, Eddie's house. Um, this is a great place for us to discharge some of our patients to. This will help our length of stay, yes, but it will do more than that. It will probably uh, prevent some readmissions um, and allow patients to be in a more appropriate care setting. Um, we are expanding the Bridge Clinic and they are world renowned. Um, they've just done a phenomenal job. We're also trying to get the Bridge Clinic to become an FQHC. That we don't think it'll happen this year as well as not listed here. And um, you can see this is one of the areas where we're growing through physician assistance and chows. We have increased community outsearch workers. And again, we'll circle back with some more numbers in FTE. And we're also expanding some step-down programs from IOP and PHP. So our IOP and partial hospitalization programs, um, you know, stabilized now. We've got the financials under control, but patients that used to stay in those programs for too long needed somewhere else to go. We're, we're, we're developing that step-down. That'll be something in-house, not sending out to the county? Correct. So that's amount to moderate. Or those people are still some of them are still months. pretty high, pretty yeah, severe. So we're basically funding that. Do we have 
the catchment for that for those monies right now? Does that already exist? No, no, because we don't have a contract with the county. Uh -huh. We're working on that contract though for the mod to severe uh -huh. um, separate type of mental health clinic with the mild being integrated into our primary care clinics. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what we already yeah. have, but. But, but we don't have the moderate to severe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, and, That's great. and you know, with VCON used to be for the mild to moderate, and now our, our primary care is really stepped up. So it's great to have a place for them to really go. glad to hear it. And then on quality, we, we would like to stay here since, you know, patients need to be in the appropriate level of care. Uh, we're revamping our whole UN process. Uh, Dr. Tornabeni and Dr. Barino are leading this. I, they, they talked about it a little bit at the last finance committee meeting. Uh, we have engaged a consultant to help us, and we want to start billing for observation. And um, if we can get patients in the right at the right level of care, then when we transfer them, we will we won't risk our payment. Right now, we have an issue because if they're in the wrong status, we will deny payment. Um, Working a lot with care management, making sure those interqual um, evaluations are done and that they communicate quickly with the physicians so we have the right orders for the physicians. They're doing a Kaizen event, um, and we want to make sure that the multidisciplinary rounds that we started continue. Um, we're improving patient access. Um, we've ramped up new physicians to 30 percentile, and we've also increased visits for standardizing hours of clinical time and improving scheduling. So a lot of folks working on this um, under under the ambulatory side. So code gray K building fourth floor ER room six. Code gray K building fourth floor ER room six. And then we're expanding the FQ dental clinic. Um, so um, we have the, high, the, the admin folks moving out and we're going to move in um, ortho maxiofacial and GE dental and um, we've got two million to convert the space in the capital plan and then we're also expanding the EWC FQ clinic uh, to include dental services and that construction is going to start soon, and we've got 4.9 million in the capital budget for that. And what's EWC? <laughs> okay. Yeah. East Village. What do you think that's going to be open within the fiscal year? Uh, we didn't put any any volumes in it. I don't know if it'll take a whole year to do the TIs, but we decided that since we didn't have a, a vetted out plan, that yeah. we July July. So it will be okay. year next year. Maybe sooner. If we can do it sooner, we'll have a great bridge plan or exactly. a great grit. <laughs> uh, and then we've got uh, enhanced care management. Um, so uh, this is a, a lot of words. I don't know. Uh, basically, it's more some of what uh, James hit on. Um, but it's really trying to coordinate, you know, the care around the patient. And quality metrics, we've done a lot of work on um, disaggregating data, improving our quality scores, supporting heady activities. I mean, a lot of resources have been put into this, into quality metrics. 
Our true north metrics is another one that you guys see. So a lot of work going on here. Uh, and then there's a physician quality dashboard that the physicians are leading. Um, and we've got some uh, consulting fees for them. Uh, and we're also continuing with our biomed refresh, make sure everybody's safe. We got the stroke certification, and then we've got the OR utilization um, improving to 75%. So 80% is a really high functioning um, OR. We're we're predict we're trying to get to the 75th percentile. I thought we already had a stroke certification at Alameda. Only at Alameda. Timeline. Trying to get it on this campus. Yeah. So do we have a timeline on that, Mark? On when we'll um, actually get it? I think we're shooting for Jan. Jan, the first quarter of next year to get the certification. What else, what other facilities in Alameda County have stroke certification? Yeah, I think most probably do. I know all the Kaisers do. I think Eden does, um, Washington probably does. Um, there's two levels. We're going for the, you know, the basic, I think it's primary stroke certification. First 90 minutes. On to the financial statements. So um, we try to duplicate the format you see every month so it's easy to understand. Um, we did uh, increase our gross charges by 3%, so that's 3DM, uh, CDM increase. Our inpatient service revenue is going up because we have the increase in surgeries. We just talked about that. Patient days, um, third floor of San Leandro Hospital and acute rehab. Um, now that the COVID restrictions are gone, we can we can pick up um, in both in John George field nursing and acute rehab. Outpatient is looks flat because it's just three percent. We do have a lot of outpatient surgery increases, but it's being overshadowed by the John George PDS volume coming down. And professional service fees are up uh, because of the you know a lot of patient days in the hospital. Yes, but. Really, it's um, uh, clinic visits, which is in the bridge plan. So we have the detail of that. And the net revenue increase is 49.6 million. Uh, and I have a slide because of the, it can be confusing because we look at net revenue as, as a collection ratio. So our collection ratio for this year is 18.6. You saw that a little earlier tonight. And if we did nothing except do the CDM increase, we would drop to 18.1%. Right? So we've added on a whole bunch of net revenue, which is going to get make allow us to go from 18.6 to 18.9 and bring on 49.6 million more of revenue. So what's important is to see these items that are driving that. So there's that behavioral health contract, the CDM increase, and then there's all these bridge plan items, right? And we have that in, coming up, and so I won't go through all of them here unless somebody has a specific question. The length of stay improvement, is that additional volume because we have more capacity for additional admissions? So what we're doing is we're saying that our patient days are actually going to go up a small amount. It's, it's you know, 1% or something like that overall. San Leandro third floor opening is the biggest change, right? Um, uh, but what we're doing is we're saying we're going to have more discharges. Okay, so this is uh, not because uh, our length of stay improvement is going to increase our, our well, it is going to increase our net to gross. 
it's not going to increase our reimbursement for those patients who now stay 5.9 instead of 6.4, but it's going to give us the capacity to bring in more discharges. That's where that is. That is exactly where it comes in. So then that, that patient that's able to get a bed, we get paid for. So we just look, took an average revenue per case. Yeah, and the other part of that, Kim, is we reduce administrative days because we get people out when they're supposed to get out, and we register people when we need to more observation so we don't get denied for an inpatient regular admission, like I say. So it's it's just a, a bunch of kind of things yeah. we've got to work on. You cut your losses and you increase yeah. your revenue. How much of this is can be attributed to the bed purchase at Cardia? How much of it is outside of it? We what we did is we set a length of stay target and backed into discharges. We didn't we didn't say, oh, okay, this many are gonna go to Eddie's place, this many are gonna go somewhere else. Because there's so many initiatives. Like if you look at the bridge plan, there's probably a list of you know six different people doing six different things. So we didn't try to attribute to each leader any particular amount. We just said, look, we should be able to reduce our length of stay this much. So this is what it means. Yeah. Last year we did it as a as a reduction in expense, and that was very problematic for us. We we didn't achieve it. One, our length of stay went up. It didn't go down. We believe that is correlated to, to the pandemic. It's nothing that we're doing. Um, but what it does, though, in our budget is it makes every manager pull their hair out because they're like, "Well, why, where's my staffing? What am I doing?" You know. So this time we said, we're, we don't want to do that. The a patient day is a patient in a bed that needs to be cared for. So we don't want to have our leaders uh, you know, juggling balls or trying to figure out why, what their, why their numbers are what they are. So this year we did it different. We did it as additional discharges and that way they had their labor standards, um, you know, what they would expect. But if we don't get the discharges, then they're going to have to reduce their labor. It'll yes. If if, uh, if the length of stay stays where it is, they're going to think they're fine, right? But our net revenue won't well, be there. But if the length of stay goes down, but we don't get the discharges, they're going to have to flex their labor anyway. Yeah. Can I just ask one more question, Jeanette? I know you were part of the Cardio project and the numbers and all that. You guys broke what? What do we expect? I can't remember. The spreadsheets were a little complicated. In terms of census. In terms of cost saving compared to price of purchasing those products. It was, um, so we, we expend 2.9 million as a pilot this year. We expect, I think our savings was just around that. It was about break even, maybe 150,000 better mm -hmm. than what we expected. It was kind of an even Steven. That's what we expect. And so far, um, the, the collaboration has just been really good, really good. I would imagine that those 20 beds would save us quite a bit. Yeah, well, we'll we see. may have done it conservatively. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then uh, these, here's the supplemental funding here. Um, as we talked in the beginning, you know, with the FMAP going away and the threshold for um, uh, GPP, we um, we are going to see some decreases. Um, we've got the whole list in the in the appendix of each individual one. I don't know that I, you know, somebody will, somebody wants me to read this to you. I, 
And then here's our payer makes some reimbursement, and this is based on charges. So how you read this is our commercial payer mix represents 8.1% of all of our charges as a system, but they pay us 42.5% of the gross charge versus another government that's only 3.4% like HPAC. And um, we'll, we get uh, only 7.1% on the dollar. So that's kind of how you read this graph. It can be confusing to know. So the commercial is more than twice as good as the next best in payer. Yes. We build and pay. Yes. And that's why it's important to have a balance. And we see we serve all, right? <laughs> that's what a stroke certification is going to be helpful to. Yes, it will. Uh, our uh, trauma center is, is uh, critical to us. But now we have uh, payer contracts with all the major payers. So anybody who does come is basically in network. So that's another but, thing uh, we've changed. And our commercial did tick up a little bit. It was seven something. And, and that commercial contract, that's, I just don't want to miss that, the opportunity to talk about that. Because for years, we didn't have those commercial, I think probably 2015 or thereabouts. Yeah, so it, we've been a long time where we were out of network. And so this manifested in a lot of different ways. It was problematic, um, specifically on the island. People who, you know, and David, yeah, he's nodding his head. But, you know, they were troubled because they had insurance and they were out of network on the island. And we tried to mitigate that. We said we wouldn't charge them our out of network fees, but the insurers were still charging. And so they were disincentivized to come Talamita Hospital. And so, you know, for Kim and her team to be able to get us those commercial contracts that we've not had for so long, that's a that's a real coup for us. And so I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge that. Thank you. Folks I know in the insurance industry have led me to believe, and maybe I'm wrong, that this this this, this difference between commercial and Medicare is actually much greater for other institutions, like maybe three to four times. Is that just our contracts? You, you mean the, 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 the like, like the, a Sutter's, the like payer mix? You mean? Of, no, the actual payments are about four hundred percent of Medicare. What they what they negotiate with insurers. It's this is, uh, so we, we that, do we do look at that. Like how do we know Sutter may get that, but we weren't able to achieve four hundred percent. But we are. Yeah. We do look at that, and and we I. I don't have the slide here, but there is a slide where we kind of converted everything to Medicare in another presentation we did. Yeah. If I may also, just something that it's germane because I'm on the, I'm a member of uh, the board of CAPH as well as CHA. And we're talking at the state level, you know, about compensation. And there is the one time $1.5 billion that CHA has been seeking as a kind of a, you know, a, an offset, if you will. Um, and that, you know, we wouldn't turn our nose up at that, but from a CAPH, which is the Association of Public Hospitals, we think it's as important, if not more so, to have the base rates <coughs> for the reasons that you just stated. Mm -hmm. And so we are really working hard to make sure that what's being paid for um, Medi-Cal um, is increased so that we are not continuing to see such a dramatic variance because an organization like us, that's 90% state and federal payment. You know, a one-time infusion of cash is nice, but it's not going to change the game for us in the same way that changing the base rate would. And so that's what we're, as an organization, the CAP is trying to, to focus. I mean, this is why they say our, our care costs so much, right? If we're billing and we only get 20% of what we ask for, it's like, yeah. how do you cover costs? you got to bill more. 
And that's why, you know, the hospitals that are out in the suburbs, like John Muir with great payer mix, are raking in so much money because they have so much more. Instead of 8% commercial, they may have 40%. Commercial. And that's a, a huge difference, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and then here's the supplemental piece of it. So the last slide, we were just looking at what we get on, you know, paid on claims. This is the other money we get that allows us to, to break even most of the time. <laughs> um, so um, the first slide there, you've got the payer source, you know, which includes all of the Medicare, Medi-Cal commercial, right? So that commercial, even though it's such a small piece, is 11.4 of our total revenue, right? It's just amazing. Um, on the supplemental revenue side, you can see without measure A, we would be really hurt. I mean, you can really tell from this slide how important this supplemental is. There's GPP, QIP, enhanced payment program, rate range. Rate range is the subsidy we get on the Medi-Cal um, rates uh, and physician spa. You know, physician spa, in order to get that, we, gotta, we have to comply with a lot of rules on timekeeping. So. It's a, kind of a pain for our physicians. So, uh, any questions here? No. So here's the measure A. You know, we we picked it up this year. <laughs> we didn't want to make that mistake again. So, hopefully, people will keep spending and uh, and we will be close to budget on that because a 3.9 increase is pretty big. Um, so, and we're up to 160.8 in our budget. So maybe a little a little bit. Um, aggressive, but uh, yeah. what did we budget it to increase last time? We didn't. We took it at our run rate because we thought we were going into a recession. So the so measure A is one of the biggest positive variances we have on revenue for this year. So next year we decide we're going to pick it up. So we don't, we don't think there's going to be a recession anymore. <laughs> I have no crystal ball. <laughs> no, it seems like <laughs> Well, uh, 3.9 is starting to life first of all of us in this room have to go out to buy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, start spending. Right. <laughs> Do your share. Yeah. <laughs> Only spend in Alameda County. And uh, here's the operating expenses. Um, <coughs> labor costs, obviously, going up the, the majority of it. That's the next slide. The uh, materials and supplies, just CPI. I mean, CPI is a, is a big deal. And purchase services, you know, we're not going to, we don't have the Huron contingency fee, so that's really what's driving that. Can, and can I interrupt? Trustee Splendorio has his hand raised. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, Your Honor. Um, so, Kim, I know I've raised this before in other finance meetings, but the measuring money, um, you've clarified that that reporting, how old is the, I should maybe say it a different way. The state provides sales tax back to the counties and the cities um and it, i believe it's every six months so the, by the time it gets to us how old is that revenue in terms of when it was actually generated we're usually running a quarter behind so uh we get our we get a report from the county that that tells us and it's all it's about two months late but by the time we we've already closed so we, it's usually a three-month lab on it okay that's not my understanding uh, that that money is you know the state pays it out every two months. you may get a report but that, that may be 
uh, several months old in, in itself as well. So anyway, I, I don't want to give a false sense that this is money that you know some some bunch of people bought a bunch of cars a couple months ago. Um, you know, it could be much longer ago that 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 money was generated. <laughs> If you look at history, usually, you know, the, the, the amounts are higher after like Christmas or before Christmas. And then right around now, at the end of the fiscal year, it kind of drops off. Um, so we're accruing based on last quarter. So um, we'll see how this next quarter goes. Um, historically, we haven't done that, but we've usually been so close to what the actual amount was that we didn't need to worry about it, but this year we had to. So we were actually accruing based on our run rate. So we'll see how this quarter goes. I'm hoping that we'll, we'll hit the accrual. Alrighty. Um, I think it's a really, unless somebody has questions, I don't wanna to read to you the slide. And then uh, here's the wages. Uh, so we've got 92, uh, more FTE. Um, and I'm wondering why my paid FTE is only 39. So we may have an issue here that we need to fix for Friday. Uh, okay, so, oops. I'll, I'll, put, I'll make a note to myself to check on that. Um, so we've got some increases due to volumes. We talked about the volumes. We've got additional providers. We've got some um, quality and some um, transferring of registry to staff. And then we've got some decreases for the tele sitter, for the um, improvements in the economies of scale that we talked about. Uh, and I'll have to take back why this says um, 92 versus the, the 39. Do you know how many FTE additions there are in administration and management in the budget? Um, I actually have an email on that. Um, I, I can go back and look it up. I did I did follow up on that. And maybe you could tell us at the board meeting. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. Can I just ask, why did you ask that question, Trustee Fox? <laughs> I want to know whether the increases in FTEs are coming to uh, take care of the increased volume that we have, or whether we have more people in administration. Feels like something I would have asked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning from you. I think she meant that in a nice way. I'm I not sure. I absolutely. <laughs> like I had to ask that question. And I just, while you were talking, answered my own question here on the FTE. So. We have an increase of 92 FTE in our staff, people that are our employees, and we have a decrease in the registry of 131 to get a net of an increase of 39. So, <laughs> my, uh, I should have looked looked a little further into the slide. Um, so, uh, and then in regard to physicians, um, these are the employed. So this is mostly due to the AHMG. And then registry is down 30.7. Uh, we have a slight rate increase built in there, but most of it is a reduction in um, uh, to higher core staff. So we have a net positive because the registry rates are higher than our staff currently. Benefits are up because we got more staff and so is retirement as well. 
And just a reminder that GASB retirement impact is not in here. And when we uh, decide to um, approve this budget, we would like you to ask that we, when we get the number, we put it in the budget. It doesn't impact cash flow or NNV. So that's how we've done it in previous years. Uh, but we just don't know what it is. And why guess when we're going to have the report literally within the next few weeks? Will we get a reminder for that? I'll do my very <laughs> best. <laughs> Probably going to be a hit, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Because our asset value at the end of 2022 went down quite yeah. a bit. So we're going to have to accrue more in order to make up that reduction in the value of our assets. Thanks for the introduction to this next slide. <laughs> <laughs> this is what this slide's about here. It gives us the the uh, comp ratio before and after the GASB um, retirement requirement. And uh, last year it was uh, credit, so it was reducing our expense. But I believe that uh, Trustee Fox is correct. The returns were not good at the measurement date. And so we're going to have an expense and it's going to make our expense go up. And when you compare a year where you had a credit, now a debit, you're going to have a big variance. So that's the purpose of this slide. So somebody can see the history and understand how that, um, that um, GASB requirement for the non-cash portion of the retirement impacts our salaries. And uh, this, um, this is our FTE trends. This is the slide that really talks about how do we get economies of scale. Um, if you look at 2019 pre-COVID, you know, our adjusted um, patient days were over 4,800. We're barely at 4,800 right now with the budget, but look at how many fewer FTEs we had back then. So, uh, you know, we're less efficient with lower volumes and so that's creating us the opportunity to try to, to tighten up those labor standards and um, make sure they're appropriate for the volume of patients that we're seeing. So I see you're saying that the budget for next year now excludes vacant positions. So the way that we started doing this um, with run rate budgeting is we know there's always gonna be a vacancy factor because people, there's always gonna be some turnover so what we do in run rate budgeting is if you don't have a head, a body identified, we don't include it. So does that mean that, that you're closing out all your open recs at the end of June? Because we are not closing out the recs. So you're, then, you're going, then you're recruiting people that aren't in the budget? We have to manage that at work committee the so to the overall budget. Because people are going when they're coming in, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It, That's it, a good, it should almost equal itself out unless we approve new FT. But if for some reason nobody leaves or retires or gets terminated, we you, haven't can't had that fill, <laughs> you can't fill vacant <laughs> positions. You're, you're correct. So we have to always look at it. You know, we usually start our work committee with that conversation okay. that we're doing. I know um, it's a hard one. And mm -hmm. a very low expectation on registering. But you see, if we didn't do that, look at 19. No, I, I get do you it. see that gap? I know there's always a there's always a vacancy rate. But until there's trying no. to close <laughs> that financial gap was impossible. Yeah. That's what drove you know some of the conversations about you know closing IOP and closing maternal mm -hmm. child. And, I mean, if you're trying to to find dollars to pay for those FPEs, you know you're gonna you might have you might do things that may not necessarily need to be done. 
I do have a question, and it's not like I need an answer, but I'm curious what length of stay was in 2019. Like, were we actually more efficient? What was the story, the overall picture then? Yeah, we were. The length of stay is um, has just gone up for. It's even higher than last year, and we were lower before that. So it's we can, but I can make sure we add something on that too. And I think as the medi the medical enrollments drop and people are uninsured, we may see length of stay get even longer because preventative care will not happen. Yeah, it's, uh, well, hopefully we're improving access and we're putting some work get folks in and get them on Medi-Cal. We have a whole lot of folks that are working on trying to help those folks not get lost. I do have a question on this excluding vacancies where labor could argue, right, that wait, I mean, so this is my bargaining unit and I can understand why we're doing this, but they could argue and say, well, in my unit, you save all those vacant positions because you, you didn't fill those positions, right? And so that create more additional work for us. So how do we then some justification? I'm just trying to, like, in my neighborhood, let's say, if I'm in bargaining, those are the type of argument I would make. So remember, we don't change their labor standard per se. Okay. Okay. We did when we thought that was economies of scale that could happen. But we're not changing the labor standards. The labor standards have the MOUs, they have the ratios in them. So those those aren't changing. Most change. of this is is other positions that um, we don't have a we have we don't have a body for a body identified and it's been vacant. Some of these have been vacant for six months, nine months. We basically just say if you haven't identified somebody to sit in that person's shoes, we're not gonna build it because we know there's gonna be another vacancy that's gonna offset it. It might that be in a, a different project. place yeah. in the in the departments, but overall for the company, um, we've decided to do that because otherwise I'd be sitting here with a gap of some huge number that we would never be able to solve. And that's sense. what happened in 2019, 18. If you look back, it's the in the graph that I do in the finance report gives you um, history. It goes back quarters for many years, and you can see. The gap between the budget and the actual FTE, and basically trying to solve that on the bottom line is pretty much impossible. Yeah, we took it out a year ago, right? Is that uh, I think it was my second year here, so two years ago. Yeah, I think it was right before you came in. But yeah, I had a lot of questions about that yeah. too. Because okay, let's move on. Oh, sorry. Okay, here's our uh, here's the summary of the cash flow. Um, so what this does is it's starting from cash flow, which is what we'll end um, starting next year. So that's our cash flow. And then we have some um, timing differences on the balance sheet, like AR days, AP days. We've just kind of netted them here. And in the Huron um, work that they did for 25 and 26, I didn't have 27. Um, they didn't project the balance sheet. So there is no timing differences in their long range plan. So uh, that's why they're blank there. Um, and, but you can see the adjusted cash flow that we have this year's budget is pretty dang close to what they had, right? Goes down in 26. Um, we've got to pay for Epic. So we've got to um, pay that. And then we have capital, which we have slides coming up. Um, we're asking to spend 30.5 million in this for the capital budget. 
uh, and I've kind of plugged the difference between here on and, and what I think, what we think our numbers are at this point. Uh, we've got some Jabber funds and some support from the foundation. Uh, we didn't try to project capital support in 25 or 26 because it wasn't in Huron. We could have done that, but we went with the Huron long range plan, which didn't have it. And then we've got the county transactions. So we transfer over all of the money we receive from our cost reports um, for capital buildings owned by the county. So we've given them uh, 33 or almost 34 million. Um, and what my understanding is gonna happen is the county's actually gonna spend that money and put it on their balance sheet. So that cash will never come to us. So we're gonna have to change our financial statements um, so that when we do the capital cost transfer, we just show it as a hit to us and it'll go on the county's books. We won't see it in our financials and they'll pay for it, put it, you know, they'll pay for the items, which we have a list in here, the things they've agreed to, and those items will go on their books. I will have to get every invoice for them, from them, uh, because we will need them for audit. And uh, we will need to have them make sure they're capital because they have to hit the balance sheet for me to put them in my cost report. So it's a, it's a very convoluted thing that was developed some time ago. Um, but based on my understanding with all the work that Mark's done with the county, they are going to manage it and pay for it. And so therefore it will not be on our books and I will have to change the statements. And the good news in all of this, we have a way to fund it fund these projects, which we didn't have before. We have agreement on how we're going to do it. It's just not the way that we thought it was going to be. So that will be a change. Question yeah. on this slide in the budget column. You have the net negative balance, if I'm reading this right, at the end of fiscal 2024, it's 65 million. Yes, yeah, 65,483. Okay. So that's- but, but, And that's the cash flow for 2024. It's, it's basically everything next to the NNB. So basically what happens is we have cash surplus of 6.4 million that goes on the NNB, which reduce, increases the receivable from 59.1 to 65.43. So 59.057 plus 6.426 equals 65.43. Okay. So the-, the So the 65, 65.43, is not the cash flow for the 2024 year. It's the NNB balance. It's the year. NNB balance, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the line above it, the blue line, is the cash surplus deficit for the year. So you take your cash from uh, your operations, your timing right. differences, and then you, we've, we've called out certain things separately, our debt, the capital outlay, the uh, county transactions. So then I've got these uh, old supplemental um, recoupments. Um, I think we've talked about this a lot. The old waivers we're gonna pay, no doubt about it. The physician spa, they're starting to get to those. They're 08 through 13, so very old. And earlier years have been reconciling in our favor, but we don't, it'll be interesting to see how, when we get to these earlier years, how they audit and um, how they go. And then the FQHC settlement, we're currently working with the state. As soon as I can get something in you know, writing that I can hang my hat on, we'll adjust that balance. 
but I don't think we'll be paying that for you. Okay, I'm not going to go through all these financial statements. This is the first time we've provided them. Um, it was actually an ask you had last year, Trustee Fox, so we wanted to try to accommodate. Okay, thank you. And then here's the capital budget, which we do need to go through because we will be asking you to approve um, a budget of 30.540588 there for FY24. Um, I want to just caution everybody, we've actually committed 67.3 million, which is more than two years worth of spend. So because of uh, some of the the delays were our cash flow is going to impact 25. So we have basically no money for next year's new request. <laughs> so this is going to be a real, it was a challenge this year and it's going to be a challenge next year. So um, I, I felt like we, I needed to call that out because we need our capital. And I wanted just to point out that we did prioritize um, collaborating with um, clinical and administrative leaders, uh, Mark Crax. Kraski and the Budget Oversight Committee did a lot of work on this. And we really are, uh, we have a lot tighter controls today than we used to. We're still um, delayed in spending, but we're doing much better than we used to, and we're much closer on budget. And uh, the capital cost reimbursement of the projects approved from the county are 31.8, and they're not in this capital spend. But I wanted to make sure that everyone understood that basically if you take the 30.5 plus the 31.8, that's more in a year than we've ever spent, right? So that's a positive story there. Um, the next slides are just about showing you that we've considered everything strategic, equipment. Um, it's more of a balanced um, approach to capital spend. We've listed out the carryover large items. Um, we'll add some totals for Friday. Here's the new requests that are over a million here. We'll put other and add a total so it all ties out. And then these are all the projects that uh, Mark Rasky and the county have been working on. I don't know, Mark, if you want to say anything. Yeah, um, so the county hired a contracting company called Swinnerton and said, here's $29 million to spend, basically. You go assess all of the Alameda campuses for what they need so this list was a preliminary list but now they've got their staff in here really taking a deeper look in terms of what is it we really need to do we think most of this stuff on the list um so it, it, it might vary a little but um right now that's our best guess and are they is the their consultant looking at strategic type of investments that we would like to make to try to increase our volume or margins or it's service uh, or our service uh, service levels or are they only looking at infrastructure things uh, yes uh, you know parking lot surfaces well, and boilers and air handlers the, the and agreement like we have <clears throat> says that it can be um, strategic it doesn't have to just be infrastructure but i think because these buildings need so much yeah that was the focus but yeah, I you know I was hoping we might be able to convince them to use some money to do an observation unit at Highland, <coughs> some of the other things that we need. But would the county only accept uh, items that they have on their list, or would the county accept a, a budget of items that are on, you know, that we would like to see that they may not 
they're not with us every day seeing what our patient population needs. They're, they, so, Alan, they did, I don't know, this must this or I came like three years ago, four years ago, they did um, an assessment of all the high priority items on all of their buildings across our campuses. Because they own the building. Because they own the buildings. It, it's all roofs, electrical, stuff is so outdated, boilers, um, the leaks that are coming in through the subterranean level. Um, and most all of it is trying to get their arms around that. And so that's, I think, one of them initially be working on. But we do negotiate with them. We negotiated in um, an assessment on the seismic needs for our old buildings here. Um, and that's going to be part of this. So, yeah, it's it's open for negotiation. But, I mean, it was overwhelming. They haven't put any, nobody's been put into our infrastructure here in the old buildings for so long. But things like, uh, you know, I see on some of the carryovers, enterprise imaging. Um, they wouldn't pay for that. If that the county wouldn't. No. But that doesn't stop us from investing in it. Absolutely not. And we are. The same with our dental clinic move. Um, the same with our HCP um, eventual remodel of, of dental. Yeah, there's a lot going on this CT year. at San Leandro Hospital. CT. Because yes. we're, we're, we own that, all these this yes. equipment. They yes. own the buildings. That's all they care Except about. Except for San Leandro. So San Leandro we own. And we're putting in, it's, oh gosh, I don't know if it's somewhere between two and three million dollars. It's in here for a new SPD room so we can increase the capacity of surgery there. So um, we've got some very strategic items this year to help us with programming and throughput and volume. So is there anything that we feel we need for our strategic development that we're not able to fit into this list or that we need to for our to achieve our strategic plan and, and all the pillars that we're not able to fill into this list or fit into this list? I think there's one potential that's on my mind, but we don't know the cost of it yet. I mean, our, our ambulatory um, areas, we, we're gonna get a space assessment done because we know as we become more efficient and make improvements um, that space is, is needed for our providers or patients, et cetera. So with that, it may come out, you know, do we need another clinic somewhere? And if so, you know, what's that about? But that that's down the line. And some of that type of thing, uh, I think an apprentice was here before, I don't see him here now, but are those the types of things that the foundation can help us with? Yeah. Because I assume that the items that are on the county's list, they're gonna pay for them, right? It's their building. And we're gonna to have to pay for other things like additional clinic space or building out the dental clinic yeah. right where we're sitting now, right? And I had other things. And, and strategically, we need to start speaking with the county about our ORs and our ED and expansion of that. That's, you know, if we started today, that's 10 to 15 years from idea to build complete. But we know that our EDs and, and, and OR really need some, some help. It's 25 years old already, the K building. So, yeah. you know, I was speaking with James, we've got plans now, how do we try to start to introduce this to the county? 
to collaborate around some of this strategy. And the OR is really prime, uh, a prime area for our capital campaign. Yeah. Yeah. As is ED, I would think. And I think you could, in both areas, we should be able to get the physicians into the campaign, both as donors and as as promoters of the campaign. Right? It's hard to get people excited about. <laughs> But there's some real important stuff coming up. Okay, so uh, no budget would be complete without talking about risks. Do we have so. any questions? Well, yeah, Before no, we go no, on, yeah. oh, any questions sorry. about the capital budget? I know Splend, you're out there and you usually have some, some issues to talk about. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alan. But I'm, yeah, I, I mean, in some respects, I'm, I'm happy to see that the people are talking about it because that wasn't being talked about. And, uh, but I'm disappointed because I, I really do think we need to spend <clears throat> much more money on improving facilities for productivity purposes. But, um, you know, I know it's a hard, it's a hard way. It's a hard thing to do. And I think that when we have our joint meeting next week, I, I'm probably going to raise it because uh, the supervisors all, you know, the, they manage those, they don't manage those buildings, but the County owns those buildings and, Perhaps they see a diminishing asset and they may want to decide to spend some money on some diminishing assets. I think some of these things like the ORs and the ERs, um, they're so basic that if we, you know, and, and given the, the lead time, you know, I, I don't know if it's 15 years, but it certainly is probably six or seven or eight. The ACT was 15, the new building. Yeah. That's a big complex. Yeah. But if, if we don't start soon, we're going to be, we'll be losing be surgeons, we'll be taking cases to other, to other ORs, and, and that's going to hurt us badly. Like well, that's what I was going to bring up. We have this air conditioner that's going to, I guess, melt down as soon as there's a hot day. There's nobody to fund it. Because it's not at like your right. I mean, hospital building, by right? The, the district, all the district has is the tax revenue, which is, you know, which is six million dollars. It's being used for observation, and it's not enough anyway. For observation. I mean, not for, for operations. Yeah, right. It's just self-funding operation. So, you know, um, as it relates to Alameda, um, our intent is to come forward in July to finance with. Um, a plan for infrastructure support. Um, so we're still working on it um, because it's a $10.5 million bogey today. In seven years, that's 15 million. So we, we need to think thoughtfully about what is the incremental approach, unless the healthcare district comes up with a $10.5 million something or other. Um, in the meantime, we would, we would intend to have some plan internally ourselves. Yeah, if I, if I may, thank, I appreciate you saying that, Mark. We intend and we will honor the, the JPA. So the JPA does require us to make the capital investments to keep the facility operational. And that is our intention. And as Mark said, we will bring a plan forward. That doesn't preclude other organizations helping with that. And if there is a way that the city of Alameda, the county or what have you, would be willing to participate, we're open to that. But I just want to state really clearly that we will honor 
our obligations via the, the JPA. Okay. Okay, risk. So um, we need to achieve our bridge plan um, to fund the capital plan. So we got 34.4 million in there and they've all listed out. We're gonna track them all, all year. We're, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of work happening internally with a lot of leaders to make this happen. We went through them at detail at, at another time. So uh, we can, I have them in the deck. I don't know how much time we're gonna to wanna to spend, but very important. And then as part of the bridge plan, managing length of stay, closer to industry standards is necessary. So we have room for those additional discharges and we can get that additional revenue. Um, we think with the uh, COVID-19 um, challenges with throughput minimizing, um, we should be able to do, have a much easier time discharging patients. And we really need to, to charge for observation and ensure that we've got patients in the right level of care at the right time so that we don't get denied. Um, we also need to become more efficient. We've seen our FTEs raise, you know, now our volumes are coming back. They've been coming back actually quite quickly. If you look at last year, they were still really down. So they've been coming back quite quickly. Um, and so we need to, to try to um, ensure that we've got the appropriate staffing, yes, but we just because all of a sudden we have more volume, we may not need more staff, right? We should be able to have economies of scale. Um, we need to right, right size physicians um, to patient volumes and call requirements. And like, again, you know, this whole idea of reducing registry and hiring our own. Um, we also have items that are not funded in the budget and budget oversight committee, BOC, is gonna be challenged to manage to manage leaders' expectations during the year for various initiatives. You know, we couldn't put them in the budget. We had to crawl back to run rate because we just couldn't afford, you know, all of these things. And there is a list in here, a, a preliminary list, and it will be Budget Oversight Committee's job to make sure that if we're gonna fund something, we find a way to pay for it. And I mentioned it before, but our approved capital budget um, consumes the next two years of cash flow so what are we going to do next year? We don't have any ability to fund anything. <coughs> and then um, this next slide is, um, is uh, based on the supplementals. And this is all about the Medi-Cal managed care enrollment shifts that um, Trustee Esteem was talking about. Um, we have put some assumptions here in the budget, uh, but pretty minimal at this point. We're on kind of a wait and see attitude at this point. And um, there's some other changes to the COVID. We talked about the FMAP stepping down. That's the first section. And there's some other risks um, and that the federal government still needs to do some approvals for us. And um, changes in federal law could make it harder for us to use county matching funds to draw supplementals. They help us by giving us the IGT and then we pay them back. Uh, and GPP expires, and so we're going to need a new waiver, and I don't know what that will be. So here's the list of items that I know is not in the budget. I'm sure there's, you know, some other things too, and uh, Budget Oversight Committee will, will be the one to figure out what goes in and how we fund it, and we'll do it as a bridge plan or a grit item. We've shared this before in the preliminary budget. 
And uh, I don't know if I need to go through this because we went through this um, every line item in our uh, finance committee session. So, Trustee Fox, what are your wishes? Yeah, I think we've been over it many times. So. Okay. So that is my report. We have a lot of appendix in there, mostly on volumes and just trends, unless somebody has a question. All right. Well, our appreciations to you and your staff for a gargantuan effort that spans many months, but reaches a crescendo, probably last Wednesday and Thursday, yeah. long, long nights. And, um, thank you for putting it together in a very cogent way. <coughs> That's easy to understand and follow. We will post into the record this version, and I made sure I spoke to anything that, you know, any comments that changed. So, um, so anyway, that this will become the record. And then if anybody has any feedback for me on what they want changes made for Friday, we're happy to get those into the main board presentation. And again, we'll, if we're going to make a recommendation, I think that when we talk about it first, we need to make sure that we can uh, adjust for the gas fee retirement. So, any further questions or comments? Just that last on the budget, thing, Rana. Did you hear that very last thing that Kim said about the gas fee retirement? Yep. <laughs> we need to cure. I will follow up with <coughs> it later. Thank you. Later. I don't see any hands raised. Rana, do you see any hands raised? I do not. Could we have a motion to approve, to recommend approval of the budget to the full board next week? <coughs> motion is made by Trustee Esteem. Do we have a second? Second. Second by Trustee Obligacion. <coughs> okay. Drum roll. <laughs> Trustee Esteem. Yes. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee of Lagasio. Yes. Trustee Slendorio. Yes. The motion passes. Okay. Well done. Okay. Congratulations. <laughs> um, we have one other item on the agenda tonight, and that is approval of the contracts, item D1 and D2. Um, does anybody I have one question on the on D2, the heologics. How does the hyperbaric part of that contract work in terms of the revenue? Do, do the, does heologics supply the chambers? They were purchased. Um, I don't know if they, they were purchased years ago. Um, and I think one was purchased through a foundation campaign. We own them. Yeah, we own them. And do we get the revenue? Yeah. We get all the revenue. Any other questions? We will entertain a motion to approve D1 and D2. It's uh, to recommend approval. To recommend yes. approval to the board, full board. And you probably need to say that, uh, and we will and recommend along with the adjustment once we get the actuarial report for the GASB retirements, the non-cash um, the finance. I mean, for the budget. Got it. All right. We can all go home when we get a motion in a I'll second. Make a I'll make a motion. <laughs> okay. Mo moved by Trustee Esteem. Second. 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 Okay. Two seconds. Okay. 
Roll call, please. Trustee of Steve. Yes. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee of Lagasio. Aye. Trustee Say. Aye. Trustee Splendor. Aye. The motion passes. Okay. We are officially adjourned. Thank you very 659. much. 659. Good job. Wow. 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 Wow.